Good morning, everyone. We're going to be reading this morning from Psalm 49. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, if you'd like to follow along. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of a lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, for he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boasts, Selah. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. This is the word of the Lord. Death comes unexpectedly. I'm sorry. I always wanted to say that ever since I saw the movie Pollyanna. Because the preacher in Pollyanna screams those words from the pulpit. All jokes aside, Psalm 49 is about death. It is. And those words are actually fitting. But let me try and approach it from a more gentle perspective, okay? Psalm 49 is a wisdom psalm. It's not a praise song to God like most of the psalms are. It's a proverb. It's a long, extended word of wisdom to people about the nature of things. That's what wisdom literature in the Old Testament of the Bible is all about, the nature of things from God's perspective. So, and I said this, I've said this a couple of weeks ago, all good art, all great art uh, focuses on universal themes. That's why it's called great hundreds of years later, right? The Psalms are great art. Thousands of years later, we're still reading them because of their universal themes. But good art is also good because what's the most universal theme? Death. Like most good art and storytelling, it, it addresses death. And so Psalm 49 addresses death. It's, it's the one thing that we all have in common that we rarely 
discuss, especially in our society today. It's the one thing we have in common. As it says in verse 2 of Psalm 49, both low and high, rich and poor together. So Psalm 49, it says that it's actually wise to meditate on death. It's wise to think about it. The Psalms are all about meditating on God and his salvation and our own sin and brokenness. But here's a Psalm that says it's wise to meditate on death because there's something about our vulnerability, our finiteness, our weakness, our, our, um, our losses, our failures. There's something about failure, even the failure of your own body. There's something about failure that teaches you things that success and prosperity and tranquility cannot. And so it's wise to think about death. Now, what are the things that death can teach us as we think about it? Well, you have to listen to the song. You have to listen to the singer as he unfolds what he calls his riddle. He says, I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Now, today's uh, title is The Wisdom of Failure. Because as we look at Psalm 49, I hope we're going to see that the difference between wisdom and foolishness, regardless of how well or poorly your life is going, the difference between wisdom and folly is whose opinion matters most to you. And I want to talk to you about the folly of success and the wisdom of failure. I didn't mess up my words, I meant that. The foolishness of success, the wisdom of failure, and then finally, the hope of salvation. That's what Psalm 49 is gonna help us see. Let's begin with the foolishness of success. So it is folly. On a certain level, it is stupidity to assume that your success insulates and protects you. Whether you are the best kickball player at recess in school or whether you have been very successful at your job and you've gotten promotion and pay raise after promotion and pay raise, it is foolish to assume that that type of success protects you and insulates you in this life. Now in Psalm 49, the singer raises, he presents his question or uh, his riddle. Basically, he poses a problem that's going to need to be solved, and it's in verses five and six. He says, why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Right? He's basically saying, why should I be afraid when the wicked prosper? That's what he's saying. Nowadays in our society where we don't talk a lot about God, a lot of Americans believe that there is a God, but culturally we really don't talk openly about religion. And, and so there's a lot of uncertainty and confusion about God in our culture, maybe even in, in the family where you grew up or the friends you hang around with, or especially in your education system, there's a lot of confusion about God. And so a big question we have today is, if God exists and if God is good, why do good people suffer? But that's not the question the ancient Jews were asking. 
in this wisdom literature. The thing that was really tripping up the old sages in ancient Israel, the people who wrote the Proverbs and all the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, the question they were really wrestling with was, because God is good, see, they assumed he was good and they assumed he was just. Because there is a good and just and powerful and sovereign God, why do the wicked prosper? That was what they were wrestling with when they looked at the world. Because God is good and because God is just and righteous, why do the unrighteous prosper? They seem to make more money. They seem to accumulate more wealth and more land by doing the wrong things. Why is this happening? That was what they were struggling with, and that's what this psalm is addressing. Now, the answer is found by what? Thinking about death. That's where the psalmist wants us to go. You want an answer to this struggle? Start thinking about death. Look at verses nine, uh, 7, 8, and 9. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That he should live on forever and never see the pit or the grave. The psalm is saying you cannot talk your way out of death. You can't buy your way out of it. You can't muscle your way or manipulate or perform your way out of death, and you cannot do it for another person. You can't buy their way out of death. Oh, Brother War Art Thou has one of the best soundtracks of, I think, modern movies, and there's that, there's that refrain, that song, Oh, death, won't you spare me over till another year. It's a major theme in that movie. These three guys are trying to avoid death. And if you keep listening to the song, won't you spare me over till another year? Death says no. And he goes on to say in verse 11, their graves. Now again, he's talking about people who seem to be getting richer and more powerful um, and more influential Uh, not for good reasons, right? And so he says their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations, though though they call lands by their own name. It makes me realize, you know, the, the, uh, not to pick on anybody in particular, but, uh, but in general, the connotation, when you think of names like Carnegie and Rockefeller and Gates and Kardashian, Right? When you think of those names and, and you look at recent statistics, which actually say that the wealthiest 1% of the world's inhabitants own 50% of the world's wealth, when you start to think about that, what Psalm 49 is saying, hey, listen, the people, you see their names on the university uh, walls and buildings and libraries and skyscrapers, and lands, and countries are named after them, what you discover in Psalm 49 is the only thing they're going to own when they die is the grave that their bodies are lying in. It's as if the psalmist is whispering into our ears, they're not really prospering. And so he says in verse 20, man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Now, he's not being disrespectful there 
of, of, of wealthy people. That's not, that's not, or successful people. That's not the point when he, when he says they're like beasts. Uh, he doesn't mean they're subhuman. What he means is they are ignorant of their situation. They're like beasts because in all of their glory and all of their pride and all of their success and self-sufficiency and self-confidence, they are ignorant of their real situation. A successful person without understanding is really not prospering. And then in verses 18 and 19, he goes on to say, for though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise for when you do well, his soul will never again see the light. And that, in part, is the answer to the riddle. Success, by worldly standards, is not real success. And he sings on and completes the answer, and one scholar says this next verse is one of the mountaintops of Old Testament hope. Listen to verse 15, which is the heart of the psalm. He says, but God, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. Sheol is the grave. It's corruption. It's the pit. But God will ransom my soul from the grave, for he will receive me. And whereas nobody can bargain with death and nobody can buy back their lives from death, God can. God can buy a person back from death. The psalmist was sure of it. And so here's one of those beautiful rays of hope tucked away in the Old Testament. Therefore, and here's the conclusion. Verse 16, he says, be not afraid when a man becomes rich and when the glory of his life increases. You don't need to be afraid when these types of people succeed because they're really not succeeding. It's foolish to think that that type of success makes a person any different than anybody else. And success doesn't have to be financial. It can be social. You can have a lot of friends. You can be popular. You can be influential. You can be talented and good-looking. Uh, you can be really smart and earn all sorts of accolades. Success in whatever form makes sense to you, all right? Now, why would the psalmist feel the need to say, be not afraid when man becomes rich? Be not afraid. Well, I think the Psalms understand human nature. The Psalms understand the heart. Because we do worry when we see successful people, don't we? We do begin to envy others. Sometimes we even begin to despair and give up hope when we compare ourselves to people more successful and hashtag blessed than we are. So many famous people that you think, oh, like they are light years above all of humanity. By the time they got uh, to the middle of their lives, they, they thought they hadn't achieved enough. Nobody at any level of human advancement ever thinks they've achieved enough and is usually frustrated that they're not as good as, smart as, wealthy as somebody else. So I think we needed to hear those words, be not afraid when a man becomes rich. Listen, it is wise 
to learn from your failure and from the ultimate failure. Failure, failure, all the time, all around us. We lose money, we lose friends, we make honest mistakes, but we make mistakes that have consequences. We try our best, but somebody's better. We try our best, we are honest workers, and somebody else gets promoted, or somebody else gets the recognition. And then the ultimate failure is that our bodies get sick, and they break, and eventually they'll just stop, and we will own our graves. But the, success, the successful but foolish person, and it's important to make that distinction, right? Because not everybody who is wealthy in some sense is bad, is prideful or arrogant. Not at all. But, but, but the successfully foolish person looks at failure and decides, hey, I can buy my way out of this. I can spend more money and recover. The successful but foolish person says, I can talk my way. I can exercise and diet my way out of feeling like a failure. I can strategize. I can manipulate people. I can bully my way out of my failure. And you know what? For a lot of people, it really does work. It works sometimes. And so they feel like they've bought their way out of a jam. But the wise person says, my failure teaches me something about my situation and the human condition. The wise person looks at failure and looks at the ultimate coming failure of their body and they say, I need something outside of myself to be whole. I need someone outside of myself to truly be okay and to flourish. And again, what does it say in the heart of this psalm? But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. He will receive me. So here's the practical takeaway for today. And at first, you're going to think it's too theoretical and too philosophical. But I'm telling you, it is as practical as the skin that shells your flesh and bones. Today and this week, I want you to consider your own death. I am challenging you and encouraging you to think about or to meditate on your own coming death and put all of your hope in God's opinion of you. Think about, pray about your coming death and put all of your hope in God's opinion of you. This is spiritual weightlifting of the greatest variety. This phrase, God will receive me, right? He will receive me. Not only will he buy me back from death, but it's more personal than that. It's intimately personal. It says, God will receive me. God is not heaven's entry booth attendant. You know when you get to Disney World or the amusement park and the, the attendant at the booth, the booth stamps your hand or stamps your ticket and you go in and you never see that person for the rest of the day. God is not heaven's attendant. God is not heaven's entry booth attendant. 
Heaven is God's place. It's his home. God is preparing a place for you. And as Jesus said, so that where I am, you may be also. It's why the most famous Psalm, Psalm 23, ends with these words, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, because God will be your host after this life. When your body is in the grave and your soul goes to be with him, God will be your host. He takes this entrance very personally. He wants you there. He will attend to you and serve you in his own home as the greatest of hosts. And if this is who God is, then his good opinion of you is what matters most. And, and you, don't, you don't need to fear another person's success. You, you don't need to worry about their advancement. You don't have to envy their position and situation and abilities because this is what God thinks of you. He will receive me. So the wise person learns to let failure and even the greatest failure, death itself, guide her into God's good favor. It is foolish to not only fear another person's success, but to complain that you're not successful enough. It is stupid to fear someone else's good situation. And it's also foolish to complain that yours is not like theirs. Friends of ours, uh, years and years ago when we were in seminary, uh, the, the, this couple, they were house sitters and child care providers for a wealthy family in the area. And, and one of our friends, uh, n- not intentionally, overheard a private conversation uh, uh, between uh, the couple that owned the house and had employed them. And one of the spouses said to the other, the owners of this, this beautiful, large uh, house, I'm sick of being poor. They said that because they couldn't afford a horse. They had horses. They couldn't afford a certain type of horse. And so they were sick of being poor. And you know what? I know in my heart, I don't know about you, I know in my heart I cannot judge that statement. Because I've said at a very much lower level the same things. I'm sick of being poor when I look at my neighbor's car and know that I can't afford it and earn something like that. Or you may think I'm sick of being poor because all my friends have an iPhone and I have a stupid flip phone. Or my friend has a new Xbox and I have a generation two PlayStation. I'm sick of being poor. And then the psalmist says to us, that mentality This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. He's saying you're no different than the wealthiest person. You're no different than the 1%. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. And then it says the most ominous words, death shall be their shepherd. Oh, death. Won't you spare me over till another year? And death says no. 
Thinking like this, we are like sheep following quote-unquote prosperous human beings over a cliff. If death is your shepherd, then, you're, then we're following people without understanding right over a cliff. Without God. And, and maybe you're here and you don't believe in God or you're not a follower of Jesus. I'm so glad you're here. And you know what? You're not the only one that needs to hear this. Everybody in this room needs to hear this. Without God and without his good opinion of you, because you could say you're a Christian and not really think a lot about God's good opinion of you, without his good opinion of you, death is all you can really hope for. Without caring about God's opinion of us, death remains our shepherd. But the hope of salvation, the hope of the Bible, the hope of the Christian message is this hope of salvation that brings life to anybody who is willing to admit their failure. Whether it's as simple as, I know I'm weak, I know I need someone outside of myself to be whole, or whether it's, hey, I messed up at the most important part. I failed God. I haven't lived up to his beautiful standards for me. If you're willing to admit, no matter how rich or pretty you are or smart you are or talented or resourceful you are or faithful or a good boy or girl you are, if you're willing to admit that you failed at the most critical part where we're all impoverished, we are all absolute paupers when it comes to fulfilling God's will for us. We failed him and we failed our neighbors. And if you're willing to admit that you're a failure, at least in that sense, and you start from there, okay, you're gonna be desperate, rightly so. You're gonna be desperate for God's good opinion of you. If you know you failed him, and you know that his, his opinion matters most, you are gonna be desperate for that outside help. And so the Son of God became a human being. And in Jesus of Nazareth, when his disciples were arguing over who is the best and who is going to be his top advisors in his new kingdom, he said to them, stop thinking like the rest of the world thinks. That's what the top 1% of the world does, Jesus said to them. It's a marginal reading. And he went on to say, for even the Son of Man, he said, guys, me, Okay, that's the son of man. He said, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, listen to the word, here it comes, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus claimed to do what only God, according to the Old Testament, can do is make a bargain with death and buy you back from it. And the price he paid was his own life. He came to serve. Not to get, all, you know, not to name lands and schools and, and cathedrals and curriculums after him. He came to serve us by dying in our place. He came to succeed where we all failed. And so Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It is the, just the opposite of what death offers us. It is just what the opposite of pride in ourselves offers us. Jesus said, 
I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for my sheep. Jesus didn't seek worldly success. He sought service to save failures who had lost God's good opinion of them. So, the difference between wisdom and foolishness is whose opinion matters the most to you. Another way of saying that is to ask you the question, who is your shepherd? Is it death or is it Jesus? Consider this week in prayer and reflection your coming death, whether you are 15 years old and think you're going to live forever, or whether you're a little older than that, and have practical reasons to think you may not be around for another decade. Consider your coming death. And in that moment, in the tension, in the reality of that, put your hope in God's opinion of you. You are so valuable to him. You are precious in his sight. Not because you're perfect, not because you're a success. No, because he chose to love you. He just said, I'm I'm sticking with you. You're precious to me. And you're so valuable to him that he sent his son to buy you back with his own death and blood. In the tension of considering your own frailty and weakness and your death itself, in that tension, in that sadness, in that desperation and despair, in that moment when you go, oh, this is like, I'll never be what I thought I would be. I'll never be as good as I thought I would be. This is it. This is it. In that moment, remember, Jesus believes you're worth saving. He loves you so much. And that way of thinking will literally save you from thinking that your life means nothing and from thinking that you haven't accomplished enough. All right? Let's pray. Father, although death is unwilling to bargain with us, we praise you that Jesus has come true on his commitment to redeem us. We praise you that we are so precious to you, not because of our abilities or our records, but because of Jesus' abilities, because of your ability to love sinners, because of your ability to be slow to anger and abound in steadfast love. We praise you that although death is the world's shepherd, whether rich or poor, famous or obscure, ugly or pretty, we praise you that Jesus has become our shepherd. And Father, I pray for anyone here today who is not sure if Jesus is leading them, or if they are following him, I pray that you would speak your goodness and truth to them, that they would not live like the ignorant, unaware of their true situation, but that in considering our weakness and our own failure and our tendency to failure and the failure of our bodies, that they, that we would consider that you are truly offering us life in the person of Jesus. May we follow our good shepherd, 
And we worship you in his name. Amen.